bleed green? Are you an ultimate Eagles football fan? Well, you're in the right place. Well, you're in the right place. This is Birds 365, hosted by the new Mac and Mac, Jody McDonald and John McMullen. Here we go, here we go! Who collectively have covered and talked about more than 50-plus years of Eagles football. Kick off your day with Birds 365. You'll get debate. We love to argue. You'll get the real story from inside the locker room. And you'll hear from some of the great football minds from around the region. You're about to become an Eagles insider. Get in the game. Join Jody Mack and Johnny Mack and join the football community that flocks to Birds 365. Birds 365 starts right now. Welcome to the NFL. Let's go! Let's go! Go! Is a Thursday morning get together here on Birds 365. You got your Mac and Mac guys, me, Jordan McDonald, him, John McMullen, and we're counting down to a Monday nighter against Seattle. Extra day, extra day of rest, not practice, as we found out yesterday. But Johnny Mac got to spend some quality time with the Birds two coordinators. What did you learn yesterday from either of the two? coordinators in charge of the Philadelphia Eagle offense or defense. Oh boy. Uh, Got to do a better job. <laughs> a lot of that. I think there's I... a, there's a, there's a handbook somewhere around floating around the NFL. Um, and you have to subscribe to certain theories. One of them is. Did Andy Reid write that handbook? By he the way, he had a big part of it. He had a big part of Major it. Major contributor. So. Okay. Um, and uh, you know, Bullet point number one is I got to do a better job. So um, we know what it is at this stage. But, uh, yeah, I mean, both of those guys are feeling significant heat. Um, and you can argue, I've, I've said, look, I'm all for the criticism. Criticize all you want. I, I do think it's absurd to talk about changing roles and firing guys when you're 10-3 and three and have the best record in the NFL, tied for the best record. Um, that's just not realistic. I mean, you got, I said it yesterday, you have seven and six teams, six and 17 fighting for their lives, right. To make the playoffs. They gotta, they gotta win games down the stretch. They're not talking about firing their coordinators because they're in the mix to just to be a, 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 a speed bump in the playoffs. Yeah. The, the, the expectations are, are out of whack, but, uh, I, I mean, there's plenty of criticism. I think, Bear criticism to level at, at the coordinators before you go down that that route where you want to change everything in in week you know fifteen, which is absurd to be honest. Well, Johnny Mac, I don't want to change everything, but I want to make a specific change for this game against Seattle, and it's a philosophical thing more than it is a drastic overall revamp the entire offense 
changed the way you go about playing defense. They're never giving up on the uh, Vic Fangio overall thought process. So you're not. They might. Play. They might at some point, but it's not going to be this season. They might. Right, right. They might I'm talking about for this week. I'm talking yeah. about for this Sunday. It's not not happening. But I was thinking about this last night, and it dawned on me. Maybe it's an epiphany. I don't know. Um, for some reason, I thought about back, 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 backing it up about 26 or 27 months ago. You got a clue as to what I'm referring to before I even go off on my 26. We're talking defensive, uh, 26, Mm, 26. No. Oh, um, uh, you're talking talking about the play calling. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I, where you're going. It was Nick Sirianni's first year as head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. And he was two and five. And those who wanted him fired his first day on the job because he didn't do the greatest job handling his first press conference were chomping at the bit because the Eagles were two and five. And see, I don't, should I, should I turn around and fire him the day after? And Nick Sirianni at all did something significant. Sirianni passed the play calling off. He decided he was shirking his responsibilities as a head coach. He had enough trust in Shane Steichen to let him call the plays. He wanted to take over the team, be as John likes to call it, a CEO coach, which we both agree is the preferable way of doing things if you've got everybody else in place to carry the water for you. And they did just that. And to Shane Steichen's credit, he said, we need to get back to what we do best. John, if if we broke this Eagle team right here, right now, down into eight groups, four on offense, four on defense, defensive line, linebackers, cornerbacks, safeties, offensive line, quarterback, running back, receivers, what would you say is the best group of those eight? You and I sat here before the season started and praised a guy whose name I can never remember from the end Bucky Brooks, who said the Eagles defensive line is the best unit of all units in football. We both said, yeah, he's probably right about that. We agreed with it. The Eagles defensive line has not been that this year. They're not the best line, uh, best unit in all of football. They're not the best unit on the Philadelphia Eagles. What do you think the best unit is? Huh. What is the best? Well, it's offensive line, defensive front, and you can argue which one's better. I I, I still think Eagles defensive front is really good. They just haven't lived up to expectations. Um, But it's definitely one of those two. Okay. And I would still lean defensively only because they're deeper, even though they're not as deep as they wanted to be, which is insane. Um, they're deeper than the offensive line. Yeah. For that that's, that's that's why I would disagree with you, because they actually need depth on the defensive line because it's a uh, substitution position. Guys come in off the bench, non-starters, and go in and have to do a job, not the same job as your uh, starters do, because that's why they start, because they're better. The offensive line, if there are no injuries, you put five guys out there, same play, every play. So depth is more important on a defensive line. Therefore, if the depth isn't good enough, that does bring the uh, the defensive line and how you would look at them in comparison to everybody else across the league down a little bit. I think the offensive line is the strength of this football team above and beyond anybody else. And they thought that back in 2021 and they said, 
we need to emphasize our strength. We need to run the football. And I know it's an age-old Philadelphia thing. I heard it on my <laughs> show on WIP the other night, run the football. Guess starting what? early on me, Jody. I got to get this from Seth all weekend. I'm getting, early I'm getting on that bandwagon. You'll, you'll remember what happened back in 2021. They went in and ran the ball for over 200 yards against the Detroit Lions, put up a 30-some-odd spot against them. The next week against the Chargers, they got beat on a last-second field goal. Herbert was good, but the Eagles could have won that game. Got uh, no time left on the clock. They got beat by three points, which I remember. The Eagles actually covered that game because I had the Eagles plus three and a half. They lost by a field goal. <laughs> but they did win that game, and they rushed for almost 200 yards. Then they came back, rushed for over 200 yards against 242 against the Saints, rushed for 230 against Washington several weeks later. They got back to their roots. They got back to what they did well. That's run the football. It really does bring the offensive line together. There is an offensive line on a planet that would rather pass block than run block. They know pass blocking is their job, but they love to be the aggressor and move the other team forward. They need to run the ball down the Seattle Seahawks throat this week, John. They need to reestablish themselves as a team that can run the football, will run the football, will run it down your throats until you put nine guys in the box. Oh, and then, by the way, we got A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, and we're going to pick you apart. But first things first, you got to run the football. I, I know it's old school. know it's uh, a mantra in this town. But I think there is a method to the madness this week because they just did it two years ago. It started the Nick Sirianni era by being able to run the football. I think they need to go into Seattle and uh, announce that they are going to be a dominant run team and do it against the defense, which uh, uh, is well. Only okay. that, that you don't want to announce it, certainly. But, announce, uh, announce you, via your yeah, uh, your stats at the end. I of get the what game. you're saying. Um, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of um, misunderstanding of what went on. I, I think that the the, uh, the the good part of what Nick did is sort of remake the offense. Remember when he came in. He's and well, he still is. He is a huge, and when I say huge, um, Philip Rivers guy. I mean, he loves Philip Rivers, um, and he's mentioned it over the years. People have probably heard it. And he came in running that offense with Jalen Hurts, and you know there were a couple games he's dropping back and throwing it forty something times, and you know he put a lot on his plate. Philip Rivers, for those who quickly forget was a very smart, very savvy, uh, veteran quarterback who could do a lot of things from a processing standpoint at a very high level. Um, and that's sort of what Nick came off of. Now I'll also mention he had to remake that offense in Indianapolis a, a number of different ways. And that was part of his strengths because he also had the end of Andrew Luck, who was a tremendously gifted quarterback he had Jacoby Brissett he had to go a complete different direction and persevered so he did a lot of different things but his preference and I think people forget quickly 11 personnel throw the ball blah blah and you still see it today um, that's what he wants to do that's his default setting that's his default setting of a lot of coaches to be honest but to his credit he scaled back and he mentioned a lot of guys. Brian Johnson was a big part of it. Um, 
he went to his college friends and his college people, Matt Campbell at Iowa State and the guys he's close to, and studied the RPO game and put it into the equation and went heavy RPO. Um, so I think, you know, there's two things. I, I talk about it all the time. I talk about it on the show all the time. They have never been a team that just hands the football off traditionally. Earl Campbell, you know, Derrick Henry, if you want to look at it now, Adrian Peterson, if you want to look at it 10 years ago, they have never been that. They were never that when they're running for 200-plus yards, and they've run for 200-plus yards more than any other team in the NFL over the Sirianni era. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the offensive line. But a lot of it has to do with the quarterback and the quarterback's ability to manipulate the spacing of the opposing defense and threaten the opposing defense. And for whatever reason, that part of it hasn't been quite as good this season. Maybe certainly during the weeks that he was struggling with the knee injury, that was a big part of it, no question. Since he ditched it, he's he seems to have a, a lot more confidence and a lot more uh, of what he had previously when it comes to the movement skills and things like that. But maybe because of the con uh, contract change, we talked about it dating back to the offseason. We didn't pay him more to do less, but that's kind of lip service, evidently, because he's been much more cognizant of protecting himself. I think it's a personal goal for Jalen Hurts to play all 17 games for the first time. And um, so I think all of this comes into it. They always want to run the ball. They want to run the ball effectively. They haven't run the ball effectively. Why haven't they run the ball effectively? Everybody's got their theories. Dallas Goddard's not in there. When Cam Jurgens wasn't in there. My personal theory is it's it hinges on the quarterback. Um, you know, the running backs, on and on and on and on. They need to run the ball effectively when they run the ball. But if, if, if you're asking, are they going to be a traditional old school running team? That's not what they do. Right. It's no, not. I, it's I, not what I, they've ever done. If that's the assumption you had by what I said, then I apologize. I wasn't clear enough. Oh, I want them to run the football like they ran the football two years ago, which was, as you said, more RPO based than just turn around, hand it off, and the five guys drive block and see if they can push the defense back far enough. I get it. They're not going to do that. That's not their offense. They're not going to throw that in and become the dominant part of their offense in week number 14 in an NFL season. Not happening. No, all I want to do is turn back the clock 26 months. And I want to run the same offense that they did when they were two and four to get above 500, make the playoffs. Yeah, I know they got their tails kicked against Tampa, but they just, there were a lot of reasons for that. Brady being the biggest, but they weren't ready. The, the Bucs were a legit Super Bowl contender. The Eagles were a, a four and 11 and one team the year before on the improved. So, uh, I, yeah, they got killed that day, but I'm not uh, all that worried about that. The fact that they did what they did to make the playoffs is what I want to tap into. And it's RPO based. You're right. Which means, yeah, we're calling Jalen out and saying, you need to go back to being the guy you were two years ago. Yeah, they have Dallas Goddard. Yeah, they have Cam Jerkin. So you can't use the, ooh, they're missing a key aspect of the game. Uh, yeah, I'm putting a lot, a lot on DeAndre Swift's plate this week. 
and I think he can handle it. You know I've been on the Swift bandwagon the last several weeks. Why Kenny Gainwell ever gets more touches than DeAndre Swift just boggles my mind. I want DeAndre Swift and Jalen Hurts as the RPO combo this week, getting a ton, ton of touches and runs against the Seattle Seahawks, and I think they can – uh, we use this word from time to time. Different people have different definitions of it. Dominance. I want them to dominate the game and dominate it at the point of attack and dominate it on the offensive line. And if it's RPO-based, so be it. I got no problem with that. Um, but I want DeAndre Swift and Jalen Hurts running the football against the Seahawks. Well, then, uh, you know, it truly has to do, I think, with the offensive line and, and the quarterback yeah. more than um, anybody else. Um you know, I hesitate because, especially coming off a game um, that they had in in Dallas. Um, remember who their best players are uh, when it comes to skill positions, and I, and I never want to say uh, I don't want to use AJ Brown or Devontae Smith, and especially coming off a week where they didn't perform because I think they're going to have a big. Um, chip on their shoulder um, to get back to being what they typically are uh, and what they typically are, are, you know, two of the Eagles best players. So I I'm, I'm very cognizant of leaning on my best players. Um, and I, I don't think that's a bad thing. It could turn out to be bad on a particular week, as I mentioned, because they are human beings. They're not robots. Everybody, mm-hmm from the best player on down, has a bad game. But when really good players, and those are really good players, tend to have a bad game, they don't tend to have another bad game after it because they're very competitive and and they're, uh, excuse me, they're very cognizant of of the fact that they had a bad game. So I, I can't. I, I know what you're saying from a, a philosophical standpoint. I can't go fully down that rabbit hole simply because, you know, their best players are the best players, and you got to lean on your best players. Right. And there's a couple things. A couple people checked in on the stream, knew this was going to be a response. But Yona won't like it a little bit. Yeah, they're right. Well, that, yeah, we, well, we know that that's the case. We know Jeff Laurie thinks you have to have this amazing downfield passing game to be able to win in the National Football League. And guess what? I don't disagree with Jeff. And I'm not uh, – l- let me add this point if, again, it hasn't come through yet. I'm not committing to this for the rest of all time. I'm not saying the Eagles need to turn back into the 1960 Green Bay Packers and run student left, student body right. Uh, no, 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 no. I get it. The NFL is still a passing league. The rules dictate that it should be a passing league. You've got DeAndre Smith, uh, the DeAndre. Uh, uh, no, I'm forgetting Eagles. Why AJ Brown? AJ and Devontae. Devontae yeah. coming off bad games too. Both off bad games. One week. That's what I'm talking about. One week. After that, just get the Philadelphia Eagles established, reestablished as an offense that other teams have to fear everything that they come out with on a given week, and then you go back to using your best players. I'm not I'm not pushing their two very talented wide receivers aside and say, yeah, guys, we're not going to do this the rest of the year. No, of course not. They are a key element of this team if they're going back to the Super Bowl. Not this week. This week, it's got to all be about the establishment of the offensive line as the most dominant unit on this football team. 
direct ahead, RPO, however you want to run it, but running the football, giving them chance to show their strength, their dominance. And then if the Eagles get a win, which I think they do, if they do it well enough, and I don't know why they wouldn't, then you figure it out for the rest of the season. But this week has to be a <clears throat> photocopy of what they did in 2021 and come out and just run the, the ball down somebody's throats. Well, I'll give you, you gave me reps for Seth, so I appreciate that. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for Seth in the running game talk. Okay. Uh, uh, it, Seth, Seth likes, yeah, we know it's Seth likes. And I'm with Seth on this week. This week. Doesn't mean the whole year. Doesn't mean from here until infinity. No, no. This week, come out and be a monstrous running team against the Seattle Seahawks. All right. He's McMullen. I'm McDonald. We are the Mac and Mac Birds 365 duo. We're going to make it a trio next. Our buddy from the Inquirer, lead columnist, Mike Sealski, WIP host with Glenn Mack now on Saturdays. I'll see if Sealski will buy Mike. Let's run it down their throats this week, way of doing things, and talk about uh, where the birds are going for the rest of the season with Mike Sealski of the Inquirer next here on Birds 365. Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the stakes and the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. At Pond Lee Hockey, we've recovered billions of dollars for our clients, and we're confident we can do the same for you. With over 250 years of combined courtroom experience, we've helped over 100,000 injured clients obtain some of the largest settlements in Pennsylvania. One conversation is all it takes to help you and your family get back on track. If you've been injured in an accident, give Pond Lee Hockey a call. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Underdog Fantasy has a way for you to play alongside your favorite football team all season long with their Fantasy Pick'em game. You pick between two to five players, select whether they'll go higher or lower on one of their stats, then do what you usually do on a Sunday. Watch the games. You can win up to 20 times your money 
in a single game by going five for five. It's a fantasy game, and the sports betting show wants you to get involved. Go to underdogfantasy.com. When you sign up, use the promo code WIN, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. That's underdogfantasy.com. Use the promo code WIN. Do you stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. For the big story on Action News. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. E-A-G-L-E-S. Eagles. Thursday edition of Birds 365, Mac Mac. And Mike Sielski joins us here uh, from the Inquirer, WIP. And how close are we getting to the dunking book coming out, Sielski? Uh, it's not coming out till late next year, Jody. I'm just plugging away on uh, on finishing. I saw it the up. Julia Serving chapter, though. That excited me, Mike. That was my yeah. I, I just polished that one off, John, and I'm moving on to David Thompson. So that's going to be a nice. fun one too. Skywalker. Right, I, 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 yeah. We promised we're going to talk Eagles, but I got to get this one question in about the dunking. And as John said, uh, Mike dropped a little excerpt from the Dr. J uh, uh, part of the dunking book. How much did he use his afro as the ability to hide the basketball when he would cock it back and the <laughs> defender trying to play? And he could, he had an afro that was big enough to do that, that he could basically make the ball disappear. Did you get a, get him to comment on how much his afro was part of his ability to dunk and posterize? They didn't use that phrase back then. Nobody nobody got put on a poster. That's more of a after the doc came yeah, and thing. But did he did he comment on the additional weapon that he had atop his head? He did not, Jody. I have to admit, I did not think to ask did him that question. Did you use your haircut to? enhance your ability to dunk i, did I not thought he was going to go with the flying aspect of it did it help in that uh <laughs> well he was yeah it, it that that haircut was aerodynamically perfect uh you have to say that yeah uh, you know stat and we're going to get to the eagles but because i love julia serving you have to put up with me um that's okay um, he, uh, I met the listeners. I know you'll put up with me. <laughs> you got the Duncan book coming out. You got yeah. no problem with, put up with it as long as you guys want to talk yeah. about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, you know, I, in some ways it, it saddens me as you go through life and, you know, guys get lost to history. Now doc isn't getting lost to history, but I, I don't think people realize how impactful he was on the game of basketball. And the NBA as a whole, you know, everybody goes back to to Bird and Magic as saving the NBA. I think Julius Irving saved the NBA. Was the first kickoff. John, you've basically summarized the entire Julius Irving chapter in this book. I asked him about that very question about the narrative that Bird and Magic saved the NBA, and his response to me was, "Yeah, I think that's bullshit." Uh, and then right into uh, his explanation for how he felt like he and the players who came into the NBA from the ABA saved the league. And quite literally, the entire chapter uh, that I've written is not really focused on Julius with the Sixers. It's focused on his impact uh, and kind of the way that casual fans, the kind of people who would be introduced to pro basketball through the water cooler conversation in their offices, yeah, didn't know who Julius Irving was really until he entered the NBA. 
And yet here he was playing in New York in the ABA with the Nets, this amazing figure that that the average basketball fan know, knew, but who really took the sport from that kind of hardcore fan base into the mainstream. Yeah, oh man, this is going to suck. Because I'm as big a Doc fan as either of you two guys. He's might be my favorite player of all time. I have a letter in my room right now from Dr. J that my father knew guy by the name of Jocko Collins, you probably neither will recognize. He was a scout for both NBA teams and baseball teams, worked for my father. He asked Jocko to ask Doc, because he knew how big a Dr. J fan I was, to write me a letter. A young, aspiring 16-year-old basketball player. I've got a letter. I save it to the day. I look at it every once in a while from Dr. J. So I'm the, uh, that should tell you how big a Dr. J fan I am. I watched Doc play in front of 4,000 people in the Nassau Coliseum as a net. No, Magic and Bird took it to another level. Doc, Doc started the process. Doc teed it up for Magic and Bird. I'll give you that. But Magic Well, and yeah, Bird. I'm not arguing that point. I agree with you. They took it to another level. But I think pe too many people have forgotten Irving's part of the foundation so they could take it to, to gave the, him the next chance. level. Yeah. yeah, and the other, the other thing you have to bear in mind, guys, is that even though Doc was playing in New York and people in and around New York, and as I said, hardcore basketball fans knew who he was and knew to get excited when the Sixers uh, bought him basically from the Nets. Yeah. Uh, he was the reason, or at least part of the reason, that Bird and Magic could take the game fully mainstream in the way that they did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, as John said, he kind of set the table for all of that, or Jody yeah. said that, I guess. He did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll buy into uh, teed it up. But uh, those two guys, Doc and Bird, delivered. Um, all right, John, uh, Mike, let's talk about this Bird's team. Okay. How bad did they suck? <laughs> <laughs> What's that line that Seth Myers had about Derek Jeter on Saturday Night Live? You suck long, you suck bad, and you suck wicked bad, I think. <laughs> um, look, they don't suck that bad. But these last two weeks have not exactly been reassuring it would have been one thing, I think, Jody, if they had lost both games and at least one of them had been a coin flip, right? If Dak Prescott drives the Cowboys on the final possession of the game to a 45-yard field goal to win it 30-28, to 28, that would have been one thing. To get your doors blown off by the other two contenders in the conference is something different. And as I wrote off of that game Sunday night, I think Nick Sirianni needs to do something despite what he said uh, the other day on his video call with the media, that he's not going to take over play calling duties, that he's not going to change very much. I think they need to change something, uh, whether it is Sirianni taking over full control of the offense, whether it's Sean Desai trying something different on defense, uh, because I think things are stagnant right now. And they just need, sometimes a coach just needs to do something to signify that his team, not that he's panicking, but that hey, what's happened here isn't acceptable and we need to get back to being the team that we ought to be. I I kind of look at it as, and on paper, you're right, Mike. They got blitzed two weeks in a row. But I, I've told Jody pretty consistently, I'm more concerned about the 49ers game because to me, they truly got blitzed. There were a couple plays in that Dallas game. By no means am I saying, would they have won the game? Because I think Dallas was going to win the game. But if that 33-13 turns into 33-24 because Devontae Smith makes a, a, a touchdown catch he usually makes or A.J. Brown makes a catch he usually makes at the three-yard line 
or both don't fumble, and who knows where the Eagles go on those particular drives in Dallas territory, and all of a sudden the score doesn't look as bad. I don't. I I think they played uncut. Their best players had bad games in Dallas, and that to me is more of a hiccup. And like I I don't know if you heard Jody and I talking about the running game. And I'm like, this is not the week I want to go away from A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. Yeah, you do. They're yeah, gonna you have do. Chips. They're going to have chips on their shoulders after performing poorly. That's generally what good players do. That, that I don't have as much concern about the Dallas game. Now, San Francisco, they got waxed. There's mm-hmm. no spinning that in a positive fashion. If that's the case, if you kind of agree with my thought process on the Dallas game, is it really as bad as it looks on paper? Yeah, I still think it's kind of bad, John, because they made mistakes, as you said, that they don't customarily make, except that they've been turning the ball over a lot this season, Jalen Hurts in particular. Uh, and you can, in a way, you can't have it both ways, right? The Eagles' superpower through the first 11 games of the season was they figure out a way to make the plays that they need to make when they need to make them, right? That was kind of what a lot of people were saying after the Bills victory, right? As great as Josh Allen was, the Eagles and Jalen Hurts made the plays down the stretch that they absolutely had to. We had seen that time and time again during the season. Go back to week two against the Vikings. The Vikings kept burping the ball up over and over again. And all Mm -hmm. it took was the Eagles not doing that to win games. So if they are starting to do that, yeah, I suppose you could say, okay, it's a blip. AJ and Devontae aren't going to fumble in the way that they did in Dallas. But the fact is that they came off of one terrible game with another really, I thought, sloppy performance. And that to me is a worry. And that to me suggests that they need to be refocused. They need to tighten some things up and they need to take a good long look at what they're doing and whether it's working or not. Let's say Nick Sirianni is in full panic mode and he takes the advice of Jody McDonald and says, we're going to RPO him to death that uh, Jalen and DeAndre Swift are going to be the key elements. I'm not saying that Devontae Smith and uh, A.J. Brown get the same number of targets that everybody else got last week. Zero. Um, (laughs) No, no, you're going to throw the football. But a balance and a run-first attitude, let's say he goes there this week. How does that not work? How is that not success? Do you think the Eagles, because the Eagles running game hasn't been as good as it's been years gone by. And DeAndre Swift had the two great games, week two, week three, and his numbers just haven't been the same yet. And Jalen's been playing with a bad knee. Do you think Jalen Hurts right now is up to that? If if Nick and I agree, this is the way to right the ship. Can the quarterback hold up his end of the bargain on the RPO and have a 85-90 yard game? Well, he looked a little better against the Cowboys, I thought, running the ball. So I suppose it's possible, Jody. Um, But the risk you run with that strategy is that it doesn't work on the first two or three uh, handoffs, carries of the game. The Seahawks are sniffing it out. They're crashing down on the RPOs like a lot of teams have been doing this season. And it doesn't work, and you're forced to throw the ball, and then you're one-dimensional anyway. Uh, I'm not a big believer in committing to the run at the start of a game. I think – The Eagles have spent their money and their capital resources on their their wide receivers, on their quarterback, on their tight end, and on their tackles and the rest of their offensive line. They are built to throw the ball. That is what they're supposed to do. Now, again, as we just said, their, their two primary targets had bad games against the Cowboys. 
I'm more inclined to agree with John that A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith are going to catch everything that's thrown to them this coming week. And I also think that you're just getting away from the strength of what they are, right? They, the reason they ran the ball so well in 2021 was because through seven games that season, they were not doing that. And they were two and five, and they were asking a lot of Jalen Hurts at a stage of his career when it was a little early to ask that much of him throwing the ball. So they quite literally, and, and to Sirianni and Shane Steichen's credit, shifted the entire focus of the offense to running the ball down, down teams' throats. Look at the numbers. That's over what the I second. want this week. Thank you. All you got to do is turn back the clock. 26 months, you're there. Jody, through the final seven weeks of that season, they threw the ball less than almost any team in the NFL, okay? And they had a quarterback who quite literally was playing for his future with the team. They're not in that situation anymore. And they're not in a situation where if you just start running the ball down teams' throats, everybody's going to be okay with it. That's the reality of the NFL. I know we can paint it as A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith and even Jalen Hurts to a degree are going to be framed as selfish. But that's the way they're built. That's the team they are. They got to the Super Bowl last year and were up by 10 with the second half to go, basically throwing the ball. That's the team that they were. And that's the team I think they want to be. And you just can't schluff aside that reality. And remember who wasn't here in 2021, and that's A.J. Brown, who was sort of the final piece to the offensive puzzle. And I, he's, you know, four years, $100 million, as Mike said. I always say, follow the money. That's yes. what they're going to do. But he's also a yeah, great but, uh, player. Let's at least all agree that if you ask those two very highly paid tackles, if they'd rather pass block or run block, what they choose. There is there is an offensive lineman on the planet who would choose pass blocking or run blocking. So if you're going to take the tackles as part of the passing game, I'll take the tackles as part of the running game and let them vote as to what they'd rather do. Yeah, but no team does that, Jody. No team does that. Um, teams, the league is built now to throw the ball. It is now. There are there are caveats to that, right? I've I've also argued that I would think there's going to come a time where offenses might shift their thinking because defenses have gotten so small and so fast. I and keep waiting for that, by the way. Right, and, yeah. and want to get upfield to get after yeah. the opposing quarterback that running the ball against them would actually make some sense. Uh, but we haven't gotten there yet. And the Eagles aren't, are, I don't think, built that way yet. Uh, so I would be really surprised if they did that. Now, look, maybe Jalen is closer to being the running Jalen that he was last season, and they can rely on him a little bit more. That certainly would be a benefit uh, to the Eagles and their offense. Uh, I think we have to see that first. I, maybe we saw a little bit of that. I think we saw a little bit of it against Dallas. I wouldn't be opposed to them trying a little bit more of that just for your, but, but turning around and just giving the ball to DeAndre Swift or Kenny Gainwell, I don't think is the, the way to go. Uh, as, as John correctly pointed out, when I did it in 2010, it was RPO based. It needs to be RPO-based again. I certainly understand that. They're not going to become an old-school, just handed off, line up in the eye and handed off team. That's not happening anywhere in the National Football League, Philadelphia or anywhere else. But there's no reason they couldn't go back to being the type of team. For one, All I want is one game, Mike. This week, get the ship righted, reestablish yourself as a dominant offensive, uh, dominating team on the offensive line. Then go ahead and uh, here, here's the other thing to take into consideration, though, Jody. 
maybe they can't reestablish themselves as that dominant running team to the degree they did last season or 2021. Isaac Samalo isn't here anymore. Lane Johnson is a year older and banged up a little bit more. And they're not quite the line, the offensive line that they were last year, the year before that. And this is how, this is why I was never fully on board with the idea that the Eagles are going to get back to the Super Bowl. I wrote this before the season began that I did not expect them to get back to the Super Bowl. And part of this is why there's always going to be a little bit of regression. And that little bit of regression can make a big difference. And that lack of element of surprise that they, that they had last season with Steichen and with getting A.J. Brown involved in the offense and with Jalen Hurts taking those steps forward isn't there this season. Those little regressions make a big difference uh, over the course of a 17-game regular season and a postseason. Oh boy, something uh, uh, we we talked about Julius Serving. I'll get back to the Eagles, um, but uh, the Indiana Pacers just confirmed the passing of uh, Hall of Famer George McGinnis, who was actually turned the uh, Sixers around before Doc got there. So, yeah, uh, that's that's a sad uh, thing as well. So, we give our condolences uh, to the George McGinnis's family and. But boy, that was a great player as well. I just wanted to mention that. But um, when it comes to the running game, Mike, you know, I think it's ironic the offense as a whole. Granted, it's I get it. We're coming off two terrible weeks here in Philadelphia, and they want to run the ball anyway. It's still a top ten running offense. That the offense as a whole is number eight, uh, sixth in points per game, third and third down offense, first and fourth down offense. It's still a pretty good offense over the big picture aspect of it the macro aspect of it the defense not so much um yeah but if you're going there let me ask you both which do you think actually can upgrade that that's got more in the tank do you think that the defense is just so well the offense has more talent but that's where i got to put my attention it's tap into talent no, even though as of now they're ranked higher i think the offense can be better I don't know what you can do to fix the defense. The well, defense that's is my the defense I, is. That's that's what I want to ask Mike Sealski. So I want to give him, and in a lot of ways, it's I'm giving him a Mission Impossible mask. <laughs> it's Mission Impossible, and you're getting the Sean Desai mask. So what do you do? What do you do to get this defense? And by the way, I don't I don't need it to be top ten like the offense. Middle of the road. Give me 18th. Give me 16th. Somewhere. Can you do that? You, you can. You've got to start better if you're the offense. That's the way the Eagles are built, John. We all know this. Is the, the Eagles are built to play with a lead. That's the whole concept behind their defense is they need to it's – not, it's not keep the defense off the field necessarily. It is get a lead, force the other team to throw the ball, and then allow that defensive line to pin its ears back and go after the quarterback – and the Eagles haven't been, they've been playing from behind for what, six, seven straight weeks here. Yeah, so that's great weeks. Happens, that's, that's man. part of the reason that the defense hasn't performed as well. There are other reasons, obviously. And I was really struck and curious about, uh, struck by and curious about the comments that Josh Sweat made after that game uh, to my colleague, Jeff McLean, about the idea that certain guys on the defense seem to be uh, more individually oriented than unit oriented. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I wonder about that. I mean, look, I'm as big a Hassan Reddick admirer as anybody who covers the team, but 
I wondered about that. I don't know it to be true, but um, is Redick playing within the, the structure of what he ought to be doing? Are Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis playing within the structure of what they ought to be doing? Is the rest of the defense doing that? Uh, or are they kind of freelancing? Um, or is Josh Sweat just off base in what he's saying? Uh, to answer your question, John, I think the, the offense needs to get a lead to take some heat off the defense. I, I don't think it's any – the defense isn't as good as it was last season. It just isn't. There's, it's not as talented up and down the 11 positions on the field. Uh, so the offense has to bear some of the burden for taking the heat off of it, I think. The exact quote that Sweat had after the game, and I think he like repeated it, he said it twice, which kind of hammered it home, not used to not taking care of each other. And when he first said, I go, well, what does he mean by that? He said, not, we're just not used to not taking care of each other. You might be right, Mike, that some guys are doing things outside of what they're supposed to be doing on every single play. And Josh is trying to stick to his assignment and it's not working for him. So yeah, that that's an, that's why I'm concentrating on the offense because I don't know if the defense can make this miraculous jump up over the, what they've been the last couple of weeks. All right, so. I, I will say this, Jody, just to, just to tie a, a bow on that. There's more Desai can do schematically, I think. You know, the, the, the play that stands out most to me over the last two weeks over these losses to the Cowboys and the 49ers was a play early on in the 49ers game where Brock Purdy throws a swing pass to George Kittle. And Kittle, the best tight end in the NFL, has nobody within a 10 to 15-yard radius of him. That should not be. And he rumbles for 30-some yards, and I think it sets up a touchdown, and the ball gets rolling from there. That should not be, and that's a schematic thing. It would be one thing if you throw a swing pass to George Kittle, and he just plows through four or five defenders who are around him. That would be a different kind of problem. The problem where George Kittle is left wide open to run for 30 or 40 yards, that's an issue. Think he sets up a touchdown? No, he sets up a touchdown because that's what all the 49ers did, which scored yeah. touchdowns every single time mm -hmm. they got the football. Um, all right, now you set me up perfectly. Thank you, Mike Zielski. Since the Eagles want to play in front, the Eagles need to play in front. Let me take you to 422. Oh, no, 813 on Monday night. And four guys from each side go out to the middle of the field. And the referee's got this little object in his hand. And he talks to both sides, and then he flips the coin. And the Eagles correctly call it. What will Nick Sirianni choose to do? Defer. Why? Because you Didn't can... Didn't you just finish telling me the Eagles are a score first team? Don't you just tell me that the Eagles need to play from in front? They're not good playing from the front. You win the coin toss, and you don't say, give me the ball so I can do what Mike Sielski says we should do. Or you say, I'm likely to get the ball at the end of the first half and then at the beginning of the second half, I can double up. And look, we can play these games all day, Jody. Like, you can make an argument that if Sirianni sends his offense out there, he's sending the message that he's not confident in his defense. I, I don't know. I, I don't get worked up about these kinds of things. I think the, the idea of, of getting the ball at the end of the first half and then getting it at the beginning of the second half, um, I like that idea. I just do.
I know, but they got the ball first last week against Dallas, and they went right down the field, and they scored, and they scored again. So the between the first half, second half becomes meaningless. It's a possibility that you could possibly have it. Yeah, you could. And you definitely know you get it first in the second half, but then you have to be able to get to a position where you take advantage of it at the end of the first half, and Eagles haven't been in that position either over the last two weeks. I don't have a problem with it because the Eagles are a good team in theory. So, you know, generally – if you're a bad team, I think there's more thought process. Oh, let me shorten the game. Let me try to get to the fourth quarter with a chance to steal the game. The Eagles have this mentality, and they should, that we don't have to worry about that. We're not going to lose the game because of the coin toss. Um, we're going to get you – know, and they didn't lose the game because of the coin toss. They got blitzed and uh, outplayed by two very good teams as well. I, I don't what, have a problem. What game would it. they have ever won because of the coin toss? Maybe None. I, I get None. It. The opening game in 2000 when they onside kicked in Dallas. Yeah. And uh, even I, I don't think anybody's winning. Back or, 23 years. <laughs> I don't think anybody's winning or losing games on the coin toss. But I do think bad teams should try to shorten games and that. But they're not a bad team. The question is how good they are. Um, so I'll end it there. At Mike Sealski, make sure you follow Mike on X, formerly known as Twitter, um, tremendous job. Hey, you got a, a, a advocating for Chase Utley and 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 Jimmy Rollins to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. I just mentioned his latest chapter in his upcoming book about the slam dunk. It's about Julia Serving. Check that out. And obviously, Mike does a tremendous job covering the Eagles as well. Um, if you mentioned. And you wrote about Nick Sirianni has to do something. So if you're Nick Sirianni, what are you doing? We kind of said, I gave you Sean Desai, but Nick's the guy in charge. He's not going to take over play calling. He's very, very honest about that. Now he could give it to Kevin Petullo. There's different ways you can go about mm -hmm. it. If you want to make a change, you can call this old buddy Frank Reich. I know a lot of Eagles fans would be happy with that, uh, but I don't think Frank would do that. What, what is the big change that Nick Sirianni can do, Mike Seals? I think some of it is tone, John. I do. I think I'm always leery of a coach creating the perception that he's panicking. However, I do think that it is a, a relative weakness of Nick's that while he is authentic and players appreciate that and probably prize that most in a coach – there's an element to him, I think, of getting ahead of himself when it comes to his public behavior, and I think in some ways, the, the way he deals with the team. I, I keep, I, I'm not expressing this quite the way I want to, as precisely as I'd like, but I go back to a moment during the Super Bowl last year where the officials were reviewing a, a catch by Devontae Smith, and Nick was quick to like, go first down and like motion to the chiefs def defense to get off the field. The Eagles defense were going to, was going to stay uh, offense was going to stay on the field and the officials actually overturned the call and Nick was wrong. And Jalen hurts is standing next to him and he actually grabs up and, and yeah. lowers. He's, Nick's he's the adult in the relationship. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, I do think there is an element of now that things are getting a little hairy and they are, doesn't mean they're not 10 and three. Doesn't mean that they can't sweep these final four games and be 14 and three and, and still maybe be the number one seed in the conference, but they got to get there first. And I do think there's something to be said for just Nick tightening up a little bit 
And this to me is not a time where you double down on being the braggadocious kind of personality that everybody in Philly loves when it's going well. And everybody around the NFL likes to see get his butt kicked when the Eagles are getting their butt kicked. I think there's something to be said for him, like just tightening it up a little bit and projecting both to the team and publicly, hey, this ain't acceptable. We need to we need to fix this right now. It doesn't necessarily have to be a play calling thing, although I wouldn't be opposed to that. But I think you're right. He's, he's not going to do it. it. It just to me is more of a subtle uh, expression that, okay, n- now's not the time for fooling around. The play calling's the play calling. It'll be what it'll be on, on Sunday. Uh, excuse me, Monday night. And then the ball's going to get snapped. And Jalen Hurts is going to have it in his hands. And Jalen Hurts is going to do what the play calling does for, but he does he do it on the level that he did last year? No one would argue that Jalen's off from last year's level of production, performance, whatever else. You got faith that this week he goes back to being the 2022 Jalen Hurts? Look, there have been times this season, Jody, where he's been the 2022 Jalen Hurts. Uh, you know, I think we we undersell him playing with that bone bruise on his left knee and the relative excellence that he displayed when he played with it. I mean, he was really good against the commanders in Landover in a game they needed him to be really good where he couldn't run. He was just, he picked that team apart from the pocket and I know it's not mm-hmm. a very good team and that's, but he still did it and what he did against Buffalo and those sorts of things. So have there been times this season when he's done that? Yeah. Does he need to get back to it more consistently? Yeah. And I think he, if I'm betting on a player, I'm going to bet on Jalen Hurts. And maybe this this simply needs to be a matter of him and Nick and Brian Johnson sitting down and looking at some tape and saying, see these guys here where, where you got to get the ball to them there? Do that. Do that. Just just get, get back to kind of refocusing on uh, what he needs to do and what the team as a whole needs to do to kind of sharpen things up. Hopefully that's the case this Monday night against the Seahawks. Mike Sielski, always a pleasure. When next you talk to Doc, not for the book, but just ask him the Afro question. I just mm-hmm. love to have the answer that way. I, I, I shall do my best, Jim. <laughs> Thank you very much. Mike Seals, guys. Inquirer, Thanks, lead columnist, and also Saturdays on WIP with Glenn Mack now. All right. Uh, Mac and Mac, guys. That's McMullen and McDonald. Here with you on Birds 365. Brooks Cabina from The Athletic, their new beat writer, will be joining us. He's been on with us earlier. Uh, he's making his way in Philadelphia. He's got like Six or eight weeks under his belt now. He's yeah. an old school Philly Now he's guy. seeing the adversity of Philadelphia. He's seeing <laughs> shit guys showing up. <laughs> fire Sean Desai. The, yeah, the run the ball knuckleheads. Yeah, they're, 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 he's getting to see the whole Philadelphia right away. He's getting to whole, see the whole Philadelphia experience. Now, see, I, I was going to go to break, but I got to ask you. Knuckleheads? The run the ball knuckleheads. Well, when they're showing up, that's what I meant. I, I, I meant the so, showing so, up. So aspect. you're against protestation. I'm 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 not against it. I just think it's uh well, if a you're poor... calling them knuckleheads, I think it's fair well, to say that you're uh, against them. I think not against them. It's a poor use of time, is how I would describe it. Um yeah, you're I, not you're not going to affect anything. So it's a poor true. use of time, and that's the knucklehead part of it. Okay, Uh, just checking because, you know, I'm advocating a return to the run this week. This week, I'm only making this, taking this stance. I'm only with those guys. No, I don't have a sign. No, I'm not going down. Even if he said, even if he had a bigger placard 
and it said run the ball effectively, which would be correct. That's what they need to do. Just add the word effectively. Um, I'd still call him a knucklehead for going down there and putting it up. Okay. You know. yeah, yeah. They, they, chances are that person doesn't host Birds 365. I've got another way to voice my opinion that might be slightly more effective. Thank than God, because I, I don't want to do it in this cold. <laughs> McMullen McDonald here with you on Birds 365. Professional sports coach will tell you there's no substitution for preparation. At Malamut and Associates, that is a tenet by which we live. We prepare from day one for victory. Anything less is not acceptable. Go passionately. Go fearlessly. Go confidently. Go birds! <clears throat> Go confidently towards your goals with First Trust. Philly's hometown bank for nearly 90 years and the official bank of the Philadelphia Eagles. We're focused on getting you over the goal line. So go with conviction. Go with trust. Go birds! And go forward with us by your side. First Trust Bank, the official bank of Philadelphia dreams. Oh, and go birds. Underdog Fantasy has a way for you to play alongside your favorite football team all season long with their fantasy pick'em game. You pick between two to five players, select whether they'll go higher or lower on one of their stats, then do what you usually do on a Sunday, watch the games. You can win up to 20 times your money in a single game by going five for five. It's a fantasy game, and the sports betting show wants you to get involved. Go to underdogfantasy.com. When you sign up, use the promo code WIN, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. That's underdogfantasy.com. Use the promo code WIN. Birds 365 here on the Jacob BD YouTube channel. McMullen and McDonald hanging with you. If you want, hit the like button. Uh, you could use, give us a little holiday love. Uh, we could use it to uh, pump up the algorithm. So feel free to like, share, and subscribe. Birds 365. 
here on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. All right, Johnny Mac, if you've got an issue with Jalen Hurts, if you're worried about Jalen Hurts, I want to see Jalen Hurts have a big game, both running and throwing this weekend with an emphasis on the running. Uh, but he needs to turn back the clock to 2022, which I perfectly believe he's capable of doing. Um, it could be worse, guys. You could have Nick Mullins starting for you. Nick a, Mullins, baby. Nick Mullins is a better option than Josh Dobbs. That's all I'll say about Nick Mullins on on that team, by the way, because they're I, they're not changing. So that's one thing I gave Nick Sirianni credit for changing and morphing around his quarterback. They're they were playing and they're running the Kirk Cousins offense. And if you're going to run the Kirk Cousins offense, yeah, Nick Mullins is a better option. Not a good option. He's just a better option because he. Right. And so, it is what it is. Um, I, I would go back to the unknown of Jalen Hall to be truthful with you. Uh, if you determined that Dobbs is not a fit, Nick Mullins is Nick Mullins. Give me the unknown of Jalen. Yeah, you've never been a Nick Mullins when he was here. You were. I thought he showed some sign as a backup. I thought he's a pretty good backup in San Francisco at times. Now he had. I think it was elbow surgery um, it, it, when he got hurt. He played a lot of games for San for 16, 17 starts, somewhere around that range. Um, now, I, yeah, not even the genius that is Kyle Shanahan could make, make Nick Mullins effective. That kind of tells you something. Look at his numbers. He was pretty effective for a backup quarterback. That's what I'm saying. Uh, but, uh, again, that's Kyle Shanahan who uh, – for people that watch this show should know, I think it's pretty good. Um, yeah. I, 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 I always thought he was a pretty good backup quarterback until he got hurt. Um, and then he seemed to lose, uh, you know, that was the issue with him coming out of college. Um, he, you know, he's not the biggest guy, doesn't have the strongest arm. Um, but I always thought he's a pretty good backup in San Francisco. Then he hurt, I, like I said, I believe it was his elbow. And then when he got here, he was still sort of rehabbing from that. And his arm strength just wasn't there. I don't know where he is, but he came into that game last week, which was one of the worst games of the year. And he gave him a spark that they didn't have without. And, and the spark was, all the spark was, Jody, was getting the football out on time. That's it. And, and it is so underrated. We, we got this discussion about game managers, uh, which Cam Newton got in trouble yesterday amongst many circles for talking about particular quarterbacks and using the term game manager. To me, everybody else, it's not a bad word. Like if you can't get Josh Allen or you can't get Jalen Hurts or you can't get a, a player of that caliber, I want a game manager. I want somebody who's going to get the football out on time. In other words, if you're stuck in that morass, it, you can't get a top 10 quarterback with tremendous athletic gifts and all the skills you need. I stink and want a game manager. And if you get the football out on time and, and you have good receivers, like Minnesota does when Jefferson, Jefferson's supposed to play, now you have Jefferson, you have Addison, you have Hawkinson. I want the freaking quarterback that's going to get the ball out on time and get the football to the playmakers. Agreed. 
you know, my only issue is if you call somebody a game manager that I don't think it's a game manager, that is proven to be more than a game manager. It, it, a game manager can help you win a game. Can't help you win a Super Bowl because you can't win a Super Bowl with a game manager. But you get into a season, backup quarterback coming in. He's not going to screw it up. Yeah, oh, I can see the value of having a game manager. But I, every once in a while, get annoyed when you call somebody that I don't think is a game manager, game manager. Nick Mullins, at best, when he's right, when he's good, he's a game manager. And I don't think he's even that good a game manager. But that's my evaluation of the Vikings quarterback. But just remember that, Eagle fan. You could have a game manager running your team right now. You've got Jalen Hurts, who is a star level quarterback, runner up for MVP last year. Last couple of weeks haven't been great. A lot of reasons added to it. He's part of it. I'm not giving him a free pass, but a bunch of things have gone wrong for the Eagles, including their Swiss cheese defense the last two weeks. Um, I really did. I told you on Monday night, John, I couldn't believe I got it. The Eagles may need to evaluate the quarterback position call meaning they could be looking to change Jalen Hurts going into next year. What the? Are you? I, 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 you really got that? Call? Man. Oh, I, you... I, 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 yeah. I'm, 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 I'm perplexed by the reaction and you get it more than me. So, I mean, you, you actually talk to fans oh, yeah. on, on, on the air. So you get it more than me. I'm like, there's four teams in this league at 10 and three. I mean, I, I, I don't, we're at 33 consecutive weeks, Jody, 33 and, and consecutive can, weeks. Can I add to your point of the four teams that are 10 and three, none of them have a defense as bad as the Philadelphia Eagles. Not no. even close. They no. are far and away of the four 10 and three teams. The other 10 and three teams all have either outstanding defenses, Ravens, Niners, well above average defense, Dallas Cowboys. And then there's the Eagles defense. So yeah. for Jalen Hurts to be 10 and three with the Eagles defense kind of tells you how good Jalen Hurts is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can't even, I, I don't know how you handled that call, but I, I, I would have. I, I laughed instead yeah. of getting uh, overly annoyed. I said, really? Are I, you I, kidding me? Do you really yeah. believe that? Yeah, I did. I, I couldn't believe that I took that call. All right. Uh, Johnny Mac, um, they're playing Seattle on Monday night and, they lost seven consecutive games to the Seattle Seahawks. Seven in a row. Anytime you've lost seven, you've done anything seven consecutive times in the NFL, it 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 grabs your attention. You, you got to take notice of it. What kind of an effect does that have on the game on Monday night? Uh, well, say that, give that to me again. They've Thank lost you. when the Philadelphia Eagles have played the Seattle Seahawks, both regular season and playoffs. The Seattle Seahawks have won seven consecutive times, yeah. seven for seven. How much of a big effect does that have on a game on Monday night? Not much. Not I much mean, that, that, I, I, I mean, they don't play them that often. You go back to the playoff game where Carson Wentz gets the concussion early and Josh McCown tears his hamstring um, and plays through it. By the way, tip of the cap to Josh McCown, and he almost got him a win. Um, yeah, what does that have to do? Carson's right. not even, it, it, yeah, not a bit, especially, you know, if you have, and we talked about it with the rivalry discussion over a couple of weeks, 
you're playing the Cowboys twice every year. You're playing the Giants twice every year. You're playing the Commanders twice every year. You can see some themes developing in those types of matchups. And occasionally, if you're really good, like the Eagles and 49ers, maybe you see each other in the playoffs and you see each other, you play in the regular season, you see each other. It can develop into that, at least for a short span. But that hasn't been the case with Seattle. So um, a lot of those wins were when Seattle was really good with Russell Wilson and going to back-to-back Super Bowls. Should have won back-to-back Super Bowls, to be honest. Um, so I, I don't think it has much to do with it. doesn't. It kind of grabs your attention when you read it, when you hear it. They've lost seven straight games to Seattle. So what? It hadn't been during the Nick Sirianni era. This no. team, now they did beat him in 2017, which uh, that was the championship season, and, and Seattle did hand them one of their very few losses that year, and there are a couple of guys left from that team on this team, but uh, it, it is now the Nick Sirianni era. It's his team. It's Jalen Hurts' team, and those two guys have not played against the Seattle Seahawks. So no, and that's, it, yeah, that's kind of the point. And the playoffs the next year, the 2018 team was, uh, was it, or 2019, uh, uh, the play, the Wentz concussion game. Um, yeah, I mean, doesn't have anything to do with anything. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, and Nick has talked about this kind of stuff in the past with, Last year, I think it was Arizona. They struggled in Arizona. They lost about, I don't know, six straight games in Arizona. So we got that question, and it was like, what, what is A.J. Brown? He used A.J. What does he care about that? What does that matter to A.J. Brown? Um, he doesn't know that, nor does he care. Um, so he's right. He's 100% right. All right. Uh, one other note uh, slash stat that I wanted to throw by I saw this morning. The Philadelphia Eagles are, and we're back to the uh, unfortunate defensive aspect of the team, not in the top 10 in pressures in the National Football League. This being a team that almost set the record for most sacks in the season last year in the NFL. History of the NFL came that close. This year, and you're a pressure guy. You know I'm more of a sack guy. You're more of a pressure guy. They're not even in the top 10 in pressures in the NFL. We know Javon Hargrave left. They've attempted to replace him. Other than that, it's the same defensive line last year that was as good as it was. Why isn't this team in the top 10 in pressures in the NFL? It's disappointing. Um, I, I, you know, they haven't lived up to what they we thought they were going to be. I think it's fair to say that. Um, um and, and and part of it is, you know, a lot of people, you know, I mentioned even, even if you brought um, all five starters they lost back, and even if Jonathan Gannon was back to the hatred of everybody, um, they wouldn't have been near 70 sacks again. That is an anomaly. Right. Even, even with a good group, that's an anomaly. And it was always going to be – sort of that regression to the mean. So that part of it is, and, and, and by the way, it's stunningly close to, if you look at the, the pressure percentage for the Eagles this year versus last year, it's a little bit worse, but it isn't nearly as egregious as you might think. 
Um, so then so it's just the sacks that are dropping off, you're telling me. Yeah, and that's why sacks are a little bit unpredictable. Like, are, I say it all the time. Are you playing against Carson Wentz? He's going to hold on to the football forever and give you a chance to get nine or ten sacks or whatever they got? Or are you playing against, you know, Tom Brady in his prime? He's not going to give you. So those things, there's a lot of variables to that. And then pressure percentage is up across the league as well. So you have more teams pressuring the quarterback. Um, so it's up so on a lot the, of, in the league, but down with the Eagles. That's a little not bit a good down. sign, Johnny Mac. But I'll look at it. The Eagles, and I'll have to look at 2022. I know it's not. This year it's 23.4. Um, and Kansas City's number one heavy blitz team, uh, 28.9. The Jets, as you know, tremendously talented, are second. 28.1, Cleveland's third, Miles Garrett, Darius Smith, Jim Schwartz, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 26.8, the Dolphins, but they lost uh, uh, Phillips, so they're going to be going down. The Lions with uh, Aiden Hutchinson, um, D'Amico Ryan's doing a good job. Buffalo has a bunch of tremendous pass rushers. And then Seattle is right up ahead of the Eagles. So, um, so it's not terrible, but they haven't been getting home. And I, I've said, even though we're not home, you, this is pressure. We're not talking sacks. We're talking pressure. It's no, I'm saying the bad. pressure. The pressure rate is fine, is what I'm saying. But they haven't gotten home, and that's a trait. And I've said it all the time. It is a trait. It is a valuable trait. Hassan Reddick does it. Um, you know, you mentioned an interesting, and Mike mentioned an interesting thing. To be honest, I hadn't thought that much about, and and that's Josh Sweat's um, comment after the game because Jim Schwartz was a huge um, discipline guy on the pass rush. I mean, that's a big part of the pass rush. You know, it, Jason Babin was a freelancer, so a lot of people like he had that big sack season. A lot of people loved it. Sacks in Philadelphia is right with the running game. But, you know, defensive coaches, well, in that case, you had to disconnect um, between, you know, coordinator, defensive line coach at times when Jim Washburn was here. Um, there's a lot of things that factor into it. The pressure rate is not the problem. The fact is they're not getting home. That's the problem. And why are they not getting home? I can't tell you. Maybe it's young players, Jalen Carter. But look at Jalen Carter. He doesn't have a big number of sacks. He's a big part of that pressure rate. You know, maybe two years from now, as he gains more experience and he becomes a savvier player, maybe you see it spike up, the sack numbers. Um, but, yeah, it's a problem. And it's a problem because they have to dominate. They have to dominate to make up for the back seven. Yeah, they do. And they haven't dominated. So, um, well, as I said, they were outside the top 10 in pressures. What was their end of season ranking in pressures? If you guys, it looks like we're looking the stats up. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm looking it up. Because right we now. know they were number one in sacks. And sacks and pressures usually are pretty damn close. Don't have to go completely hand in hand, but. I, I'd be shocked if they weren't in the top five in pressures if they were number one in sacks. 
Their their pressure rates last season. So remember, it's twenty three point four. Last year it was twenty five point five, um, which was second in the league to Dallas, which was twenty five point six. Now remember that number twenty five. Well, pressures are up all over the league. You're yes, right. twenty five point yeah. six. Kansas City, the Jets, Cleveland, Miami, uh, uh, Detroit, and Houston are all at that number or above Dallas, who is number one. So, right, and, so. And, and, and you look at um, um, blitzing and things like that. So the three teams that blitz um, are Kansas City to a ludicrous degree are Kansas. Well, I shouldn't say ludicrous. The only ludicrous degree is Brian Flores, Minnesota. Um he, he the the Vikings blitz rate get this forty seven point four percent forty seven point then comes the Giants and Wink Martindale and then comes Todd Bowles so those are the top three and obviously Kansas City's up there and they don't even have great they're below the Eagles in pressure rate so yeah there's a lot of ways to go about things. I wouldn't say the Eagles defensive front is playing poorly. They're just not playing as well as they need to play because their back seven is so bad. Right. That's and or, and or fair expectations coming into the year because Bucky Brooks, Jordy McDonald, John McMullen all called them the best unit in the national football league. So expectations are what expectations are. And that was knowing that, they lost a key piece in the middle, but we believe that they replaced them by taking Jalen Carter with the draft pick that they did. Uh, so it's, yeah, they're being tasked a lot, but a lot was expected from them at the beginning of the year. If you're going to make them the number one unit in the NFL, you're expecting them to be lead in sacks and pressures and everything else. And they haven't just haven't been. No. And, you know, again, yeah. But when measured against expectations, it, it hasn't been where it was supposed to be. So I get why people think they're playing poorly. I wouldn't go that far. They're just not being as dominant as they need to be because of all the deficiencies they have in coverage. And, you know, Sean Desai mentioned it yesterday. You would hear JG say it all the time, cover and rush, rush and cover. Well, in the Eagles, it's really not. It's really rush rush holding up the coverage rush no more and yes it hasn't been able to do it yeah and i got no problems holding him to the level of expectations that's uh, everybody the is pressure everybody percentage, here the pressure percentage is down two percent which is not egregious and to be honest if you account for teams playing differently because teams play differently and they came into the season saying especially early in the season not as much lately because yeah they but haven't... john let let's let's be fair here because you gave a couple teams they blitz they blitz they blitz they blitz that's why the numbers are the eagles are blitzing more too john decides blitzing a hell of a lot more than gannon ever blitzed so if blitz equals pressure the eagles number should be up not down well, I don't think the, the, the Eagles blitz rate under Jonathan Gannon last year, because I have the numbers up because I was looking up the pressure for it, was 22.1%. Uh, so right now they're at 23.2%. Uh, uh, so, yeah, I mean. I thought it was yeah, more than I that. Think, I, w- I would have guessed it would be more than that of an increase. 
Well, it goes, you know, last against San Francisco, they blitzed a lot. Uh, it was 37%. Um, against Dallas, they scaled it back. They barely blitzed. So it, it's been pretty drastic with Sean. Um, they were at they were at 37% against San Francisco, which would be fifth in the league. So they would be, you know, right at the top of the league if they do that consistently. Um, but they don't do that consistently. And I don't know why they did it against San Francisco <laughs> on paper. That's where I'll criticize a guy like Sean Desai. Like on paper, that's the team you're going to blitz? Like why? Why would that be? That's the team with the quarterback who can get the ball out quickly and and playmakers all over the place. I, I it 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 makes no sense to me. So anyway, yeah, and it sure as heck didn't work to the tune of six consecutive touchdown possessions. All right, he's McMullen. I'm McDonald. Macamac Bards three sixty five. I see we got Brooks Cabina ready to rock and roll. He's in our green room. He of the athletic Phillies uh, Eagles beat is going to join us next here on Birds 365. Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the stakes and the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. At Pond Lee Hockey, we've recovered billions of dollars for our clients, and we're confident we can do the same for you. With over 250 years of combined courtroom experience, we've helped over 100,000 injured clients obtain some of the largest settlements in Pennsylvania. One conversation is all it takes to help you and your family get back on track. If you've been injured in an accident, give Pond Lee Hockey a call. They're carving up a good play calling along the way. First and goal at the six. On the field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Underdog Fantasy has a way for you to play alongside your favorite football team all season long with their Fantasy Pick'em game. You pick between two to five players, select whether they'll go higher or lower on one of their stats, then do what you usually do on a Sunday. Watch the games. You can win up to 20 times your money 
in a single game by going five for five. It's a fantasy game, and the sports betting show wants you to get involved. Go to underdogfantasy.com. When you sign up, use the promo code WIN, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. That's underdogfantasy.com. Use the promo code WIN. Do you stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. And the big story on Action News. Search 6ABC <laughs> Philadelphia and start streaming today. E-A-G-L-E-S. Eagles. You got John McMullen and Jody McDonald, your birds 365. Got joined by... Brooks Cabina making his way in Philadelphia, learning to be a Delaware Valley native. How's the process going, Brooks? It's good. I've, uh, I'm on my third Airbnb in a couple months, and the second one was the nice. one that I felt like I got most indoctrinated. Uh, some random person started throwing fastballs at my front door, exploding hands and stuff until I finally moved out. So they must have <laughs> seen my right. Texas license plates or something. Oh, see, that's Ooh. just not right. Uh, you you got to get that right, switch quickly. Then. Yeah, you got to yeah. make that switch uh, quickly. Uh, yeah. It's ironic, you know, Brooks, I think you've gotten the full, and now you tell me you even gotten more of the Philadelphia experience. <laughs> um, but from a football sense, you've gotten it already. You got uh, the heights when they're 10 and 1, and all the chests are pumped out, and this is the greatest team in the history of the world. And now you're seeing two losses, and everybody wants everybody fired. How's that? How's that uh, experience been for you? Yeah, I mean, definitely the highs and the lows here, um, and that shows the expectations, right? I mean, the team was pretty much, uh, you know, one loss to the Jets coming in, and then seeing how how dynamic the team could be, and also how heroic some of the players could come through in some huge moments against some major teams. Uh, but even through those games, it was clear that there were some flaws that might take over. That Those were things that I wrote through that time, too. And now seeing those culminate in two very embarrassing losses, I can understand uh, some of the response of people who thought that this team might have been a Super Bowl contender. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, there's there's this is as in, invigorated a fan base as I've ever been around. So um, seeing their interest and in, Obviously, whenever things go terribly wrong, uh, the response is kind of warranted in some ways and understandable, for sure. Speaking of heroes, if you're going to be a hero in the NFL, don the superhero cape, chances are you're going to have to be a quarterback. And last year, Jalen Hurts was pretty damn heroic for this football team, runner-up for the MVP. This year, a drop-off. If you've got a grasp on it, if you could tell us why you think that is, Love to hear it from a guy because we we were all in doctor. We were here every single game last year. You bring a different perspective. You're joining the fray this year, not here last year. Um, can you see something that maybe we're not seeing because we're too used to the Jalen last year as to why this year's Jalen isn't as good as last year's Jalen? Yeah, I, I may I, I can't guarantee that my fresh perspective is going to be anything different than you maybe um, haven't thought yourselves already, but. Um, you know, coming into this and looking at some of the games before, you know, this was a team in some ways that was maximizing its wide receivers, at least at the very least this year, like getting to AJ Brown and 
Devontae Smith. Brown was on a record tear by the time that I showed up and watched. And the difference that I think really changed things the last month for sure is that Dallas Goddard was out. And I, and I think that had a lot to do with a lot of the problems getting the ball down the field in the passing game. Um, you know, there was a play to start, I believe it was the 49ers game where uh, people were seeing how Jalen Hurts maybe had a, a deep shot downfield that he wasn't taking. But, you know, Nick Sirianni admitted that that wasn't even a read for that tight end. I mean, they had two, two guys, three guys at tight end, and only one of them had secured a catch all year. So that eliminated a lot of options um, in the passing game. You could see how uh, Jalen Hurts working through his progressions and whatever uh, was available to him. There really weren't that many options beyond Brown and Smith. And when teams were doubling the doubling uh, A.J. Brown, there really wasn't much else to go. And he wasn't really using his legs as much. And we started to see that against the Cowboys early on. And that honestly... I have a lot of questions. What, what, if they hadn't fumbled three times in that game, especially at the start of it, how quickly would things have unraveled? Because they were moving the ball. That was, I think, a little bit more of the hurts people had saw last year because he was part of that <clears throat> high-octane rushing attack. And um, they he, he had scampered for a close to a 15-yard game before he fumbled there. And who knows what points that would have reached. But they just don't seem like they're in rhythm. And that includes Jalen, and that includes a, a system the past month that's been trying to figure it out without Goddard. They got him this time, and I think turnovers are really the major reason why it didn't function on Sunday. If they eliminate that, then I think you start seeing the offense that people are more familiar with. You mentioned options, uh, Brooke, and, and, and targets. It was notable in Dallas only three players got targets, and Nick Sirianni's very honest about the offense and his offense and he said it probably a hundred times behind the scenes and and he went on record with it again so you got to see it this offense runs through aj brown Devonte smith dallas goddard however if you look at a average game you're gonna have seven eight guys get targets uh whether they're effective or not no one's gonna complain about as you mentioned aj's historic streak of 125 straight yards and six consecutive games never happened before it's not an issue uh when he's dominating but that does concern me when you only have three guys getting targets is that just an anomaly you overlook and say oh, it's just that game or well, what did you make of that yeah there are two ways that i look at that that's either one um, a choice that's very direct from them to choose to go to Brown and Smith and that's it pretty much. Or it's a choice based on the circumstances and realities of what they have on offense, because your idea isn't incorrect. It's definitely something that um, most teams are, you know, they, they want to utilize their whole entire wide receiver core. It draws the attention of the defense it can eliminate Brown being double teamed. It can uh, you want to be able to use the entire space instead of just using some receiver that just goes downfield and it's not even part of the progression at all, just trying to clear things up. Because if defenses know that, then they're not going to bother to even really pay attention to that part of the offense. So, um, and I think that's more to say that in an admission that their wide receiver depth beyond those two isn't even worthy of being a part of the game plan which is a problem. Yeah. And 
that, um, they they came in and signed uh, Julio Jones in the middle of the season, and I believe he's got what three catches in the past month. Um, so and they're all bubble screens. Yeah, they don't, so, uh, <laughs> they don't even get it down the field. That's either an obstinance by the offensive minds in the team that they're only going to go to AJ Brown and Devontae Smith, which I guess is a possibility, but it may be more that they just don't trust the rest of the wide receivers to be large parts of the game plan, which is a problem, which is maybe even a bigger problem whenever you're looking down down the line. But um, you can't – I don't – the way that defenses have been able to shut down A.J. Brown the past month just by doubling him and not really worrying about the rest and how they've been going to Devontae Smith a lot um, on hitches, slants, goes. It seems like he's the most involved because of the attention that's being paid. But, uh, I mean, we're starting to see a couple of times. I think it was the beginning of the 49ers game where they uh, Hertz hit uh, A.J. Brown for a lot of slants to begin the game. And then we started to see that incorporated in the yeah. Cowboys game too, letting him beat his man um, on short routes down the field. But um, those it, it, it's got to be a, a more balanced offense. Uh, and we, we've seen that in a lot of other teams. Um, it's interesting that when you have two such – two such dynamic receivers that you can't get anything out of the other receivers that are on the roster because they're demanding so much attention. You're telling me that they can't get the ball in these situations. Maybe they can't. So that's, that would be an even larger issue. So, um, which means they're very limited in what they can do offensively. All right. Uh, one more offensive question, then I'm going to flip over to the defense. Uh, that That's the big, should be the bigger issue. Well, let's be honest. Their defense has been worse than their offense. So yeah. one more offensive question. If you have both DeAndre Swift and Kenny Gainwell, sorry, Boston Scott, you got one more week to wait. Then you get the Giants and Boston. Rashad Penny week. Don't forget about Rashad Penny going home. Throwing that out there. Don't think it's happening. Um, Your evaluation (laughs) of DeAndre Swift and Kenny Gainwell, it gets me a little upset when there's a given week that Kenny Gainwell touches the ball more than DeAndre Swift. And that was the case two weeks ago against Florida. I just didn't understand it. Hey, give me your scouts evaluation within this team structure to fill it up Eagles, but their talent as well of the comparison between Gainwell and Swift is one better than the other one better on the other plays. Uh, ridiculous. Can't even comp the two. How do you compare Kenny Gainwell and DeAndre Swift? Yeah, it's uh, a situation where you, th- I think where they were bringing Gainwell in more often um, in the type of runs that they were running and uh, options to, perhaps pass in those situations. I think Gainwell has a little bit more of an overall um, ability. Um, And I think that may have been partly why he played so much more frequently in that game. I do think DeAndre Swift is the more proficient runner. And we've started to see more of that in the last couple of games before the Cowboys game on Sunday, where Brian Johnson was starting to incorporate a lot more jet sweeps, a lot more 21 personnel using both Gainwell and Swift uh, and Swift would come in from, I don't know, wide receiver slot. And uh, that led to a couple of times where the run game broke open in some of those comeback victories. Um, I, 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 I don't know why they've abandoned that. Um, it's uh, in terms of the jet sweep and some of the, those looks that helped out the run game. But at the same time, whenever uh, Jalen Hurts was, you know, getting more carries at the start of the Cowboys game, it was Gainwell that was in there. So they may 
like that situation a lot more whenever they're talking about zone reads and run pass options. In that, in those cases, perhaps Gainwell's more the person they want in there. Perhaps Hertz chooses pass, and maybe that allows the defense to uh, organize themselves differently. So that's really the 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 I really the explanation without asking um, is probably what I would guess. Um. At B Cabina on uh, Twitter, uh, uh, formerly known as TwitterX.com, make sure you follow Brooks there. I, I bring it up. You put an interesting stat up on your X account, uh, Brooks, uh, about third and medium situations on defense. So yeah. that's four to six yards. O- over the last three games, and look, they played three really good quarterbacks having really good seasons in Josh Allen, Brock Purdy, Dak Prescott. In those situations, they are 10 of 11 for 171 yards and three touchdowns. And that's a 158.3 passer rating, which for those who don't know, that's perfect in NFL parlance. And if you extend it to four to seven yards, it still stays perfect. Um, you would think at some point somebody would get a hand up and tip a football. Something would happen negative that would make this defense look a little bit better. If you're Sean Desai and you're going through all this and people are showing up at the Novacare complex with placards, fire Sean Desai, is it just you don't have talent? Is it scheme-based? Where where are you going with this defense and how they've been historically bad over the past number of weeks. Yeah, to quote Nick Sirianni the other day, the third down problems are everywhere. And it's not just one answer. And that is combining Sean Desai's potential solutions and the players of which he's using to try and change those things. I mean, that's a that's it's an incredible stat that they are perfect as passers in third down and medium from four to seven. I mean, that's that, those are pivotal moments that can change games. And we've seen it change games the last couple of weeks, especially whenever the 49ers and Cowboys scored 10 straight times. There's no way a defense or a team is even expected to win whenever that happens. So that's for sure of all the offensive problems the Eagles have had. This has been the reason why they've been getting killed recent, recently. Um, Desai said yesterday when I asked him about this stat, is like, obviously it starts with the play call. Well, he hasn't lacked creativity. Um, they've had issues finding stability at the slot ever since Avante Maddox got hurt in week two. We've seen him use uh, Eli Ricks, who is an undrafted free agent. Make of that what you will. They signed Bradley Roby, who's a 31-year-old veteran who's been okay in spots, has been bad in others. Make that of what you will. And then on Sunday, we saw his third try at manipulating the secondary. Uh, Keely Ringo, um, rookie cornerback, hadn't played more than one snap on defense all season, had been impressing them on special teams, and Nick Sariani said in practice too while guarding A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. So they fielded a dime defense, and sometimes in nickel where five or six defensive backs, they put Ringo in as an outside corner, subbing him in for a linebacker, usually Zach Cunningham, which gave them six defensive backs, and they could move their second most reliable defensive back, James Bradbury, inside. So now you've got Darius Slay, who's already been uh, pretty um, pretty flexible 
And uh, then you had Bradbury, who suddenly is now. So that didn't work either. Uh, that required confidence in the rest of the secondary to do their job. And there was several third down situations, especially in those medium ranges, where, um, uh, for one example, they they sent six on a third down and medium against uh, Dak Prescott and. Kevin Byard was so close to sacking him, but yeah, and, and Sidney Brown had good coverage there too. But it was just a great throw. It, was, I mean, it, was it, it, it requires the question of whether there's inside leverage or outside leverage. Right. right? Yeah. So Brown, you know, Sidney Brown lets him go inside, and on the other side, if you look, Eli Ricks also got beat inside. So there's two guys going inside. Where's the leverage? It's a good question. Like, did they play good compared to whether they were asked? in that scheme, which one is a problem because it resulted in two wide open people across the middle or two, did they not complete the scheme the right way, which is personnel. So the other issue later on in the third down along, like, you know, Keely Ringo gets beat by Michael Gallup downfield. And if he had hold on to him for just a split second more, Reddick might got to him in a sack. So it's also notable to point out that the pass rush hasn't been very good on third downs either. There have been, at the very best of middling um, pass rush in third and medium situations. Um, they did get a third and long strip sack uh, that produced a defensive touchdown, but this those kind of game-changing plays are too far in between. So, I mean, there are a lot of questions, a lot of things, and I've, that's the article that I wrote on The Athletic today, so if you can find a lot more in that, but um, basically, we were seeing Desai be creative at least, but those haven't pr produced any answers. And maybe it's the players, maybe it's what he's doing, but nothing seems to be working right now. So the confidence from Sirianni to say, I have faith that this is going to work, kind of rings empty in some ways because there hasn't been much to point to in the confidence the last couple of weeks that this could change. So there's not really any other option. What else is Nick going to say? I mean, the rest of the coaching staff is probably going to follow up with the same kind of scheme. So a change on defense really isn't make too much sense right now. So um, they, they can only really just offer confidence in each other. They'll ultimately find the answer. And they, they, they certainly hope they would. Brooks along those lines, whether it's scheme, whether it's talent, whether they hit a lull or whatever else, the pass coverage against the two top MVP candidates Brock Purdy, Dak Prescott, the last couple of weeks just hasn't been good enough. Geno Smith isn't in their class. He's just not. And I saw Geno play against the Cowboys just two weeks ago. And I was amazed at the passes he completed because he can't throw. He's got a bum elbow. He's got nothing on his throws, but he's getting it out there, throwing it way in advance. They've got some talented wide receivers, and that helped to make Geno uh, at least capable of being able to play, which I didn't think he could. How scared should we be of DK Metcalf? How does well, he match up? He's a different type receiver than CD Lamb, than uh, what San Francisco has on the outside. He is a different type of animal to himself. Is this a better guy for the Eagles to be facing as the number one wide receiver on the other squad or a worse guy? Well, that then brings up who matches best with him because he's just a freak of an athlete. So, yeah, you should, <laughs> he is scary. And especially if you saw the Cowboys game where he just took off for 80 yards with the fastest breakaway I've seen all season. Yeah, that's amazing. At like I mean, he's an incredible <laughs> wide receiver. So the Seahawks seem to me to have one of the deepest wide receiver cores in the NFL. You've got DK Metcalf, you've got Tyler Lockett, 
you got Jackson Smith and Jigba, who's doing pretty well for a rookie. Mm-hmm. Those things require a lot from the secondary that has been the problem for them the last couple of weeks is where do they choose their matchups? Who do they trust? Where do they make this happen? And even if Geno Smith doesn't play, he's questionable in this one. We may see Drew Locke again. It still becomes a problem when you wonder about the matchups. I don't know. You know, I'm glad I don't have to make that decision. I'm glad I'm not Sean Desai and have to sit there and how I have to stop the Ox offense. The problem is, well, what may actually work out in the Eagles' favor is that they're undeniably the worst third down defense in the NFL. The second team is the Seahawks. So this may be the highest scoring game that we've seen all season. And there may be a lot more that we see the offense break through. I have no idea who they'd match up against Metcalf. I guess you would say I would see perhaps a lot more zone in this game because you don't really have the athletes um, to, 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 to match up with him man to man. Well, it's ironic because uh, AJ and DK are very close, uh, both uh, Ole Miss guys. And, you know, they're both very who, similar. Who is, who is AJ not close with? He's well, close with yeah. Debo. He's close with Jalen. He's close with. I told you, great with everybody on the planet. Great receivers are like uh, that movie Mean Girls. They they collect together. They're all friends. Uh, yeah, he's close to Debo. Yeah, you're right. They're all they're all close. But um, you, you mentioned the word creative with Sean Desai, and I agree with that, Brooks, because I think he's and and Jody can attest to this. I've been saying one of his biggest strengths to me when he got here is willingness to try different things. They were very structured, very boring when Jonathan Gannon was here. They just played what they played and they were very good second deep ranked defense, but they were very structured maybe because they didn't have to try different things. He's willing to try different things, but I got to tell you, Brooks, at some point you got to stop and you got to, you got to rely on something. And We've heard this a couple times, and now we've heard it again. Simplify. we got to simplify things. Slate brought it up in Los Angeles um, when they were struggling in the first half against Cooper Cup, and they're trying to throw poor Eli Ricks against, you know, maybe the best slot receiver in football. And Slate's like, we got to simplify things. Now it's come up again. When you have all these moving parts, and the Eagles keep adding moving parts, whether it's Shaq Leonard on the second level most recently, but obviously Bradley Roby, Kevin Byard, on and on and on and on. Part of it's injury-related. You have to do it. But when you have that many moving parts, is he trying too much? Does he have to, does he have to boil it down? It's a good question because it does appear that they're tangling themselves in different schematic, changes that uh you don't know what you're good at anymore um you don't know what you can boil it down to and say you know what this is who we are as a defense and this works and we're just going to stick with that um you know throughout whatever i watched before i showed up in philadelphia i'm not quite sure what the base defense is uh, considering all the changes that they've done in the secondary um we know that they have a stout defensive front they have a good defensive line, um, but how they organize themselves beyond that has been adapting because of the changes that have happened and the injuries that happened from the very beginning of the season. So my question would be simplify to what? What would they choose? What is it that they do best? Because it hasn't been 
um, keep their corners on one side of the field. It hasn't been moving Slay to cover the number one receiver. It hasn't been, you know, putting Ringo out there and going more dime. I, they're they're searching for what their simplification is, in my opinion. And once they find that, I think that's probably what they'll stick with. Um, if like if if Slay's covering the number one receiver lock down everybody, they'd be doing that all the time. If Ringo works out, and maybe he will, he's still developing in, into his uh, time on the field. It's the most he's ever played on Sunday. Maybe that ends up being the simplified way that they end up doing this. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know if there's really something you can point to and say, you know what, this is how this is how this this is how the 2023 Eagles defense should operate. Um, and you bring up a good point about last year. At least they felt confident about the the, the predictable defense that they had and that it could work every now and then more often than not some most of the time. So it's a, it's a major problem that I think is possibly why Sirianni has so much confidence in decide because he does have a lot of flexibility into finding the right answer and they haven't found it yet. So perhaps he's the one that they like better in this situation right now because they don't have something and they need someone to find it. One of the major differences between this year's team and last year's team is turnovers. Specifically, at the beginning of the season, Eagles were phenomenal at turnovers. They slowed over the second half of the season, but they started the year as a turn, uh, takeover uh, machine. Just has not been the case all year this year. I think as a team, they have four interceptions, John. Or, oh, no, well. Uh, Two, two apiece and, and two other guys have one. So they got six interceptions in 13 weeks. That's not a whole hell of a lot. If you're Darius Slate, big play Slay, you taking a chance this week? You looking to cheat this week? You looking to jump a route this week? The Eagles could really use a big play from someone uh, in the back seven of this team. And the only one I really at this point have any faith that can actually make that happen by the way he plays the game is big play slay. You think he uh, kind of, and it could end up him getting burned for a 75 yard touchdown, but do you think he is extra motivated and extra on guard to make a big play this week and steal a ball? I don't think there's anything extra from slay. And I don't say that because I don't think he does. I think he does that every week. Just my, 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 the way that I've seen him in the locker room and talked to him, it seems like he's been pretty prepared to do that every week where I, I don't know if his break on a ball comes this Sunday, um, whether he takes more risks in that I possibly because of how they might use him. So, you know, with the, with the Cowboys game slays on the short side of the field, meaning they're trying to make Dak Prescott go to the long side of the field because on the short side of the field, going into that game, they try to isolate a lot of one-on-ones. So Prescott seeing Slay on the one-on-one isn't going to challenge him so often. And when he does, it's going to be something he's confident in. So that doesn't really present the opportunity for Slay to even be aggressive unless it's the one play that's going deep. And, you know, you saw him bat a couple of passes away. It's not really the one that you can jump a route for. So if he's in a scenario where Desai is giving him the opportunity to be in short coverage, be in zone, whatever it is, perhaps, but that may be a, a situation that the rest of the secondary might have to be in. I mean, remember, um, James Bradbury's interception against Josh Allen came whenever they baited him based on using Slay in different slots. So that was the 
they, they got the look that they were prepared for and a route that they believed the Bills were going to run, and they did it, and Bradbury jumped it, picked okay, yeah. it, and turned the tide of the game. So who is it that they're going to allow in those situations? And I think that is a larger conversation about why the secondary hasn't produced a lot of interceptions. Are they being put in a position to where they can even decide to jump routes, to go for it, to get interceptions? Is that where they're based instead of just trying to find ways to shut down passing lanes? Are they using themselves as, you know, in, in, in a way to be aggressive against the ball? So um, we'll see how that works out. But I, I do think that's a focus that needs to be under consideration. Agreed. Yeah. At B Cabina, make sure you follow uh, Brooks on X, formerly known as Twitter. Read him at theathletic.com. He's got a great piece up, as he mentioned, uh, ex- uh, exploring the third down woes, and they are everywhere, as Brooks explained. Um, I'll leave it here with you, Brooks. Um, you know, the Eagles went through this stretch and, and, and lost two games against two very good teams. You could are there are four 10 and three teams. Um, the, the Eagles just played two of the other ones, uh, Baltimore being the other ones. Um, is it too pessimistic? Is it too, um, everybody goes through this. There's no 13 and O team. San Francisco lost three straight. Is this just the natural evolution? Can this help the Eagles? I'll say it that way uh, as they head towards the playoffs. Sure. Uh, I mean, it definitely can help them. It can hurt them too. Um, and there's there's many ways that the next four games can play out. Um, I'm reminded of when Jason Kelsey was talking about whether the 49ers loss could help them before the Cowboys game and whether things begin to unspool, what happens in those situations. And he said it's not just about one game. It's whenever things start to um, pile up and then whenever you start losing confidence in coaching when you start losing confidence in each other. So has that happened? Have they seen that in the last couple of weeks? Do they start doubting the scheme, the the coaches themselves? The next four games can do a lot in renewing that confidence against some teams where they should have the advantage. So they talk a lot um, about they believe in the people they have in the building. They obviously have tons of talent on the roster. Uh, They have some coaches who have had reputations of being bright and up and coming and are in the conversation for potential future head coaching jobs until if they prove themselves. So do these next four games renew that confidence? If so, yeah, this can help them. If they don't and it's mediocre or they struggle some more, then that's where you think you have some major issues going into playoffs against teams, probably the same teams that just beat you by a ton. And that will be hopefully not week number one, because if the Eagles don't win the number one seed, got to get that first playoff victory before you're going to play into a Dallas or San Francisco again. Uh, This is Seattle this week. They got to find a way to win the game. Brooks, great stuff. We appreciate you jumping in with us. Hopefully your house doesn't get egged today. Yeah, man. Oh, hopefully this one works. Yeah, works. I'm going to look outside, see if I got some mail. Yeah. <laughs> or if there's someone with a sign outside ready to protest, uh, you never know. Uh, Brooks, thank you very much. Have a safe flight to Seattle. We'll get you back up again in a couple of weeks. I appreciate it, guys. Anytime. My pleasure. Thanks, Brooks. Newest beat writer from The Athletic, Brooks Cabina, here with us on Birds 365. All right, Johnny Mac, Jody Mac coming back. You know what we got to do? 
put a bow in the show. Any professional sports coach will tell you there's no substitution for preparation. At Malamite & Associates, that is a tenet by which we live. We prepare from day one for victory. Anything less is not acceptable. Go passionately. Go fearlessly. Go confidently. Go first! <clears throat> Go confidently towards your goals with First Trust. Philly's hometown bank for nearly 90 years and the official bank of the Philadelphia Eagles. We're focused on getting you over the goal line. So go with conviction, go with trust, and go forward with us by your side. First Trust Bank, the official bank of Philadelphia dreams. Oh, and go birds. Underdog Fantasy has a way for you to play alongside your favorite football team all season long with their fantasy pick'em game. You pick between two to five players, select whether they'll go higher or lower on one of their stats, then do what you usually do on a Sunday, watch the games. You can win up to 20 times your money in a single game by going five for five. It's a fantasy game, and the sports betting show wants you to get involved. Go to underdogfantasy.com. When you sign up, use the promo code WIN, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. That's underdogfantasy.com. Use the promo code WIN. Johnny Mac, Johnny Mac, Mac and Mac, putting a bow on the show here on Bird 365. Uh, thank a couple people on the stream. By the way, thank you all for streaming in today. If you want to hit the like button on the way out the door, thank you for that, too. Guys, uh, I got this written down my note. I haven't gotten to it in two days. John, if the game comes down to a one-on-one matchup, it is decided by these two guys facing off against each other. Who do you like? Jason Peters against Fletcher Cox. Because it could be a key aspect of this game. Jason Peters is still playing for the Seahawks. Yeah, man. I always say, yeah. Inside and outside. 
uh, Jason, uh, yeah, I, I like the Eagles in that matchup. Uh, you like Fletcher to be able to get the better of Jason Peters? Yeah, I mean, they, Jason. They know each other a little bit, don't you think? Oh, yeah. Jason has tremendous respect still to this day in this organization. And he was a great player here. But, he, yeah, he's hanging on. And um, he's not a great player anymore. And that's, you know, probably the Eagles' biggest advantage in this game. Seems like an evergreen comment about the Seattle Seahawks. They have a bad offensive line. Uh, they seem to always have a bad offensive line. This year is no exception. Um, and we were talking about the Eagles defensive front a lot. I don't think it's as bad as people think it is, but uh, they haven't been as dominant as expected. They need to step up against this defensive front. You're saying, how do you stop DK Metcalf? And people talk about DK. They got two other good receivers, as Brooks mentioned. Um, uh, you know, so how do you stop those guys with this secondary? The front. That's how yeah. you stop those guys. That's that's how. You, but I would say this about Brooks, and I know we got to leave. I, I like his comment about Sean Desai keeps searching for the answer. It's week 15. You're not getting the answer. You just got to choose the best way possible and stick with it. That's my opinion. I, 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 it's week 15. You can't keep looking. You can't keep searching. You got to you got to you got to get some continuity going. I I'm on your side of that argument, John. Um the, the you're not getting Seth Joyner walking through the door. No. Uh, you you can hope for it, but it's not happening anytime soon. You got what you got. You got to give it your best shot. You got to draw up a game plan and you got to try and ride it all the way to the finish line. All right, we are at the finish line today, but darn it, we'll do it again tomorrow. Uh walk through Thursday, so you got nothing today, McMona? You got interviews? Is the locker room? Interviews, up? locker room. Uh, Nick Suriani's going to talk. Uh, it's Wednesday on a Thursday. So, uh, yeah, Wednesday walkthroughs, Thursday walkthrough. And despite that, we will have a Friday, Friday tomorrow. We don't change. We are always the same here on Birds 365. Oh, except, no, that's not right. I, yeah. I apologize. I'm lying through my teeth. We get McMullen for both hours tomorrow. Oh, he doesn't have to sneak I, yeah. off to go talk to Sirianni. Off I the apologize in advance. Uh, you know, yeah, both we, hours. We are glad to have John with us. It is a full Mac and Mac. Two hours tomorrow coming your way in 22 hours from now. You've been listening to Birds 365, the destination for the passionate Eagles football fan who bleeds green. If it's Eagles football, we're talking about it. Debate inside the locker room and guests that are some of the greatest football minds from around the region. We hope you enjoyed the show. We know we had a blast. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hook up with us on social media at Jacob Sports. See you next time on Birds 365.